That's the confidence that we have this morning. We've come here a lot, and it always seems like there's something heavy that is brought to our mind, and we're asking God to do it again. And the good news is his response is always yes. And uh, this morning, as Lars said, and you guys, you guys may be seated. As Lars said, it's it's uh, it's been a, a week for sure. Some harder than others, um, but personally, it's it's been a it's been a pretty pretty difficult week. Last few months, they kind of disrupted our our rhythms uh, with kind of summer happening and. Some of us taking vacation and, and um, even our weekly rhythms at Warehouse. Um, we welcomed our new lead pastor, uh, Pastor Matt Smith. And so we had the, the one big church service in the gym. And so that kind of uh, disrupted what we were doing. Um, but it was such an amazing experience and outcome. And, and a lot of you guys were there and that was awesome. Um, and then we had Community Service Week, which is a planned event that we do. Um, on every fifth Sabbath, so it kind of feels like we're out of our our rhythm, but I think we're we're, we're back on track. So it's just it's good to be here. It's good to be back. I've I've been on vacation as well, um, and so it's just so refreshing. And and it's something that when you when you're gone for this long from a place that you love, um, it's just a great feeling to to be back here and and with the people that we love. So um, if you're, this is your first time, we want to welcome you especially. And um, we invite you guys, there's a table in the back uh, for more information on just how to get involved and a little bit about home church. And that's something that's coming up and, and um, we will talk about this week and, and next as well. But like Lars mentioned, it has been uh, quite the week specifically for me and my family um, because Adeline, she started school. And that has been super hard for us. Uh, she's adjusted pretty well. Um, but for someone like me and a father who's had the privilege of just being with her day in and day out for her first four years of her life to, to, to send her off to preschool, it was hard uh, for sure. There is also what we heard, a, a boohoo breakfast uh, at Fleece that we didn't go to. We just wanted to go home and cry and just be alone, Vanessa and I, um, because it just felt like she had just taken this huge step in her growth, um, and, and, and it was a huge milestone. So it, it's, it's been it's been an interesting week. It's been awesome to see her experience and, and her enjoy her time there, but it has been uh, pretty difficult. So Pastor Mark and I, actually Pastor Mark sent his daughter to Southern, so that's that's a little more um, intense, but we've both been uh, hugging each other and crying as our daughters have taken a new step in their journey um, of life. So it has been, it has been, uh, it's been an interesting week for sure. Um, I now look forward, more forward to the weekends so I can spend with her because she's just gone and it's so quiet um, at home. But but we are we're glad. Um, as hard as of a week it was for us, I think she has had an amazing experience. But today I want to start off with a specific question. The question is, have you ever had a moment in your life 
where you stopped and realized and you asked yourself, how did I get here? Now that may evolve and turn into, that may manifest itself in different ways for you. But have you gone down a path and, and you've just had a moment where you just have a reality check and say, this isn't me. This isn't in my nature. How did I get to this place? And maybe that's a bad relationship and you just let it go too long. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's just decision after decision that has led you to an addiction that is something that has spun out of control. Or maybe it's something that you've done that has pushed you so far away from God that you don't even know if he even exists anymore. And maybe you're in that place now. But have you ever asked yourself and realized, how in the world did I get into the place that I'm at? This isn't me. This isn't like me. It's not in my nature to be this way. How did I get here? How did I get to this place of confusion and decision-making? If you've ever had that, you know it's a pretty scary place to be. And today we're going to talk a little bit about a story as we've been journeying in the book of Acts, specifically in Acts chapter 8. And as I read through that, I asked that question, how did the people of God get there? Bow with, me with you, bow with me with your heads as we pray. Father God, Lord, I just pray that you speak through your word today, God. You know the hearts in this room. You know the adjustments that have had to be made with just life and things that we're dealing with, God. Lord, I pray for these next few moments that we just focus on your word, God. May your Holy Spirit fill this room. May you speak to us individually as you have a special message for each one of us. God, we invite you into this space. In God's name we pray. Amen. So we picked the story up in Acts chapter 8. And if, if you were here last week, you heard a little bit about the story of Stephen and Pastor Mark gave us a challenge that I'm, I'm going to bring up in a, a little bit later, but where we pick the story up, if you've been journeying, we're at, answering the question, what is church? And we started, we've been in the book of Acts, and now we are in Acts chapter 8, and we're picking it up in verse 1. And, and I just want to read it real quick, uh, maybe the first two verses. Now Saul was consenting to his death, his being Stephen, at the time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were, at, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. So what we see is Saul giving an approval of killing someone else. Some commentators say that he himself went into these houses and drug people out for the sake of killing in the name of God. And what's interesting is if you were actually reading chapter 7, what makes sense is chapter, verse 1 to go with chapter 7, because it's kind of the end of that story. And if you've study scripture, you know that originally when the Bible was written, there were no chapters. 
and verses. It was just one letter, and it was actually um, humans who actually partitioned things in the way they felt appropriate. So you ask yourself, why is this verse at the beginning of chapter 8 and not at the end of chapter 7? Well, it's, it's setting the precedence for what is about to happen. So it makes sense why they would put that there. So you have to kind of read chapter 7. I think Pastor Mark even challenged you guys to read chapter 7. If you do, it makes sense. But it says that Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen and to the killing of other people. So what we now have is chaos and confusion. People are about to die. And Saul has kind of given his approval over it. And word gets around, so then people begin to scatter. They feel like if we can just separate and we go our separate ways, it's almost every man for themselves. Maybe they won't find us. Maybe, maybe we can hide from this terrible thing that's about to happen. And so we see that the people of God begin to spread out and scatter. They're no longer together journeying. And this is something that we've seen in the Old Testament through the New is the people of God always together, setting up camp, doing things in, in motion as a group collectively. I mean, that's, that's how we identify, partly how we identify church is the group of people moving in the same direction with the same vision. And now they're called upon and they're going to get killed so they scatter and they go all over the place chaos and confusion fill the hearts of the people of God and at some point the church the people of God some got to a place in their minds where killing another human being was okay and you know we, we read scripture we read the Old and the New Testament, and we kind of normalize stuff like this. We're like, oh, that, that just happened in Bible times. Or maybe you're someone who reads the Bible differently and think that it may be just all allegory. But as Adventists, we believe these events happened. And you normalize, we normalize that this is just something that happened in Bible times. So what? Someone killed somebody else. But we know that right here in this book, human error and decision triumphed over God's will. And we ask ourselves, how did Saul get there? How did the people of God get to that point in their lives, in their decision making to kill another human? It started with Stephen and, and we know the context and we know what happens and why Stephen was the martyr. But how could Saul get to this point? And I'm not sure how he got there, but in the same way, many of us have found ourselves in a position like that, where all logic has been thrown out. We have, we have tunnel vision, we're laser focused on something. And our moral compass and our ethics get thrown out the, out the window. And maybe not in the context of approving a killing of somebody else. But we've gotten to the place in our life where we've just lost control. I know I'm speaking for, for myself. So I can relate to this in a way. How did Saul get there? The danger with spiritual complacency is that our lives, no matter what, continue to move with a current. 
slow progression can happen in our lives if we aren't actively checking ourselves, checking in with God, with each other, with our community, with our families. It's a slow fade. Pastor Mark knows this better than probably anyone here, but surfing, you know that if you just stay in one place, and, and I have experienced this, I've only gone surfing two times. The second time I did it, I got seasick sitting on a surfboard. That's how sensitive I am. You can ask my wife, I got sick on our honeymoon on a pontoon boat. I couldn't even enjoy the sunset. I was ready just to vomit everywhere. But I was sitting on a surfboard waiting, not doing anything, expecting to be in the same spot, waiting for that one specific wave that would be in that location, soon to realize that I got pushed away because of the current. You can't just stay in the same place and not do anything expecting to remain in the same spot. My experience a few years ago, actually almost 10 years ago now, I was in Rwanda and one of the things that um, we have to do if you're in, in school at, at Southern, I don't know if it's still the case, but you have to preach an evangelistic series. Julie, is that still the case? You got to preach? Yeah, you got to do that? Yeah. So you can pick to be in the States or go overseas, and I thought it was a great opportunity to go somewhere else, and Rwanda was that place. And I got to spend some time there, six weeks, getting to know the people, and it's one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been in. Um, and, I, and I asked, why is everything so green? And, and they said, well, plastic bags are illegal here. And you have to use paper bags. If you're caught with a plastic bag, you can go to jail. Um, and also, every citizen has to perform a specific amount of days of community service. And I remember driving through, and I would see uh, it was all done by territory. So if you lived in this specific, let's say, zip code, you had to do community service these days and clean up your area. And it was just fascinating to kind of see um, what had happened. But if you know the history of what happened in Rwanda, you know that it, it was, they've had a pretty ugly history. I think it was 94 is when there was a, a genocide and, and their own people began killing each other. And I'm hearing the stories of what happened through this and it was a crazy st statistic uh, when we went to the, the uh, kind of the, the uh, museum of what had happened. There was a, a stat that said something like every 26 seconds a person died over a period of months. I mean, imagine your country and going through that kind of turmoil. And, I mean, the way they fought was, was with machetes. It was, it was such a, a graphic telling of the story of what had happened. Hearing it from an Adventist pastor who lived through it, who was able to, to sneak away, hide on the top of roofs, um, from people trying to kill him. Him and his wife were separated. Long story short, uh, two years later, she's at a refugee camp. He escapes, and they reunite. It's a crazy, crazy story. But I'm here thinking about this, just this situation with this country. And what you had is you had two different groups. You had the Hutus and the Tutsis. And there was a fight over power, and, and it, was, it became very political. And people began to kill each other over power, power and money. And you really couldn't identify who was who from what they told me. Um, typically, like a Tutsi, they were taller, 
and and the Hutus they were just shorter and I think they have they had I mean you could tell in their eyes some had bigger eyes some didn't but it wasn't really that easy to tell who was who and I I believe the Tutsis were the ones kind of that had more of the money the the Hutus were the poorer community in the area but they were all Rwandan and and there was a, an instance once where uh, a, a Catholic priest could not tell who was who in his church. And so one day he, one, one Sunday, he, they had church and they closed all the doors and they took a bulldozer through the entire church. And we drove past the site where that happened. I mean, it was just story after story. An Adventist pastor who's still in jail serving time for what he had done to even his own community. As we're driving through, I'm thinking, how can a country get to that place? How can a a people of God get there? I I remember leaving and and just kind of in awe, and you you would still see a lot of the injuries on people and and what they went through. And and now um, they no longer identify as a Hutu or Tutsi. They're just Rwandan. And so it was was a, a fascinating story just to reflect on it and to experience and that's just I mean we could go on and on from the outside view looking at a situation like that and ask those same questions through history now with the people that we know but to remain grounded to not drift away and find yourself in a position where you're at a at loss and confusion and you've thrown all of that out the window, it takes effort to remain grounded. It means putting up the fight each and every day, choosing the right path versus the wrong path. To think that you and God are good, and to go about your day, weeks and months, and not make an effort actively to choose Jesus every day is a mistake. Repetition in the Christian walk is key. Prayer after prayer after prayer, actively choosing an intentional way to live. Picking up the life that you believe God has chosen for you and living it every single day. No one said the Christian walk was easy. No one said following Jesus was easy. In fact, the disciples were always on the move. They were always picking up and following. Every day they had to make that decision to follow Jesus. Every day. We know that not all of them made that decision. We know what happened with Judas. But it was a decision that they had to make because that's the kind of God that we serve. He gives us the choice from the very beginning. And I've said this before. Even though God gives us choice, the odds are always in our favor. You look and eat, and he said, only don't eat from this one tree. All the others you can eat, but this one. The odds are always in our favor, but it's actively us making that decision to choose Jesus. Pastor Mark last week preached, what are you willing to give up? to stay grounded in your faith, to stay grounded in Jesus in this community. It's an active choice, but that means that you have to give some things up. Some things that maybe you hold in high value. Some things that are going to be pretty hard to let go. 
But what are you willing to give up? I was, I was in uh, Utah last week, and I, was, I remember driving, and I got a ton of messages through the texting service of people texting in what they were willing to give up. And I, I didn't know. It was a two-hour difference. So I'm like, what in the world am I getting all these texts for? And I put it together that we were, you guys were in church, and it was two-hour difference where I was. And it was amazing to see the things that you guys wrote on what you were willing to to give up. But it's a choice. And it's daily that we make that choice. To simply assume that you're in a good place is dangerous. To simply assume that you and God are good, that your relationship with God is good without actively choosing and investing in a relationship with God is how we slowly fade away and we find ourselves in a position of, how did I get here? The devil's crafty. And I think when things are going good, he uses that against us. Because we don't think we need to seek God out. It's, it's in times of trouble that we run to God, but when things are good, we tend to forget of the one who provided all of that. Acts 8, chapter 4, the story goes on. So they're scattered. Saul, he made havoc for the church, entering every house, dragging them off, committing them to prison. And in verse 4 it says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. The ones who were scattered went and still preached the word. In the midst of their confusion and their chaos, they did something that was a little different that maybe, than maybe you would expect. But in the midst of their chaos and their confusion, they committed to their calling. And that was to continue to preach the name of Jesus, the Word, the living Word. Without discipline, none of this would have happened. When the foundation is shaken and you don't have the discipline and the commitment to Jesus, it's pretty hard to honor your calling in the midst of chaos. In the thick of their chaos, they stay true to their calling. So what is our move when life gets scattered? What do we do? We live in an in a, in a age and a generation where once things get messy, we, we kind of close up. We resort to ourselves. We protect. We retreat. And we go back into our comfortable shell Perhaps we just resort to coming back to our building, our church. We stay closed. We panic. We freak out. And then we exercise our wanting to get connected through social media. When things get scattered and scary and there's chaos, we retreat. Creating distance from each other is the world that we live in. In fact, I was reading a book called Creating Community. It's by Andy Stanley. If you haven't written the book, it's, it's, uh, it's really great. But one of the things that he talked about is even architecture and how we've built homes are designed to create more distance between each other. Where back 100 years ago, houses were built with decks that went all the way around. People were always outside. Houses were really close to the sidewalk. 
now we're focused on building building these huge gates where you can't see anybody. When someone knocks on your door, it's either they're going to either sell you solar panels, or or uh, what's the other one? They come to my house. Solar panel is one big one. Roofing, that's another one. Roofing is another. Oh, and uh, windshields. They're like, oh, we got a crack in your windshield. We can fix it. So you assume someone's going to sell me something or someone's soliciting where 50 years ago it was, it was a treat when someone knocked on your door. At least I'm not 50 years old, but I was told that was like a good thing. But even, even back then, pastors would go to members' houses unannounced. And now if I come to your house, you're probably wondering what's going on. Why is Pastor Juan at my house knocking on my door unannounced? Visitation is just not even a thing anymore. Unless you call, you set up a time, you get in the Google Calendar, you make sure that you know your house is in order. Things are different. The way we live has caused a lot more separation. People aren't sitting out on their steps until night. You fear to let your kids go out and play because you wonder of what can happen. It's not the world that we live in. We create more and more distance with each other. But that doesn't need to stop us from living the gospel, from proclaiming the name of Jesus. Because even in the midst of their scattering, in the midst of their chaos, they stay true to their calling. Here's what Jesus says. It's in our chaos that our calling has its most value. This is a common theme in the book of Acts. If you stuck with us from January, you know that whenever there's confusion, persecution, chaos, when things get really uneasy, that's when God goes to work. It says 5,000 people were saved in the midst of the disciples getting persecuted. It's in the chaos that God moves. And we were made to thrive in that world. To exist in that space. There's a pattern that God's trying to teach us here in the early church and right now. When the devil causes oppression, Jesus presents opportunity. When the devil causes oppression, Jesus presents opportunity. As hard as that may seem, We know through history, through the book of Acts, that in the midst of facing death, Jesus is there. He says, I'm going to do good work. Trust in me. In your world right now, I don't know what your chaos looks like or what your confusion looks like, but Jesus says, I'm waiting to do a good work in you. Through your oppression, there's opportunity, there's grace, there's forgiveness. There's victory. He promises that. We see it time and time again throughout the Bible. So what is our responsibility as individuals when we become scattered? What does that look like for you specifically? What does oppression look like for you? What does chaos look like for you, that causes you to scatter, that causes you to retreat and say, you know what, 
Right now, my priority is me, not Jesus. What is our responsibility? Has there been a time in your life when you're just ready to throw in the towel? When, when you get pushback? Maybe it's in a job. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's on a person where you're just like, you know what, I'm done. I give up. There's no more hope. I am hopeless. Maybe it's on a class in school. I know I've talked to a few of you who are in nursing school and you guys have been on the verge of just calling it quits. You've lost hope. Maybe it's a marriage. What is that situation for you? You just assume that the worst is going to happen in every situation that you encounter. Have you ever met someone like that? Maybe it isn't you, but maybe you've met someone who's just hopeless. Has there been a time in life where you've experienced that? I'm guilty of it, and I know it. I can be hopeless. And I remember working at, at the hospital, and uh, one of my assignments back when I was a chaplain was working in, in hospice. And so you just see people die every day. And it becomes something that you're just used to, that you assume that when someone's sick, you know what the end game is. And you begin to lose hope. I began to lose hope. And I would see the faith and the hope in these families' eyes. And in my head, it's like, I know the outcome. And then when things would turn around for this one individual or, or this family and, and they would get better, it was shocking to me. And I'd ask myself, how did I get here? How did I lose hope in a God who claims victory? How did I get to the point where I assumed that the devil was going to win every time? And God told me, I've won the victory. Don't lose hope. We don't live in this world as it is our end game, but our end game is eternity with him. One author says this about Acts chapter 8. It consequently appears that the persecution which they had endured in Jerusalem could not so intimidate them that they henceforth concealed their faith in Jesus from public view. On the contrary, wherever they appeared, they proclaimed their faith in the joyful tidings concerning the Redeemer and His redeeming work. Nothing could stop the people of God from proclaiming His name. When Jesus becomes the center of the church, when he becomes the center of you, nothing else matters. There are some who will tell you when chaos happens, grab all the veggie meat you can find and run to the hills. That was the time. Get in your bunker, prepare for Jesus to come. But I fear if we do that, we're going to be waiting a lot longer because we have work to do here. That isn't what we were created for. That isn't what Jesus intended for his disciples to do. When chaos arose and they scattered, they still were on mission. They still were proclaiming the name of Jesus. 
Like I said before, it's been a hard week for us. Adeline's off to school for the first time. This church has heard a lot of firsts with Adeline as she's pretty much grown up here mostly all, all her life so far. So this is another one. As a father, and I'll, I'll speak for myself, in a moment like this, you begin to think ahead when it's a, it's a monumental time in their life or for your family. As a father, you wonder, did I... Did I equip my child? Did I do my best to prepare them for what they were about to go into? As a father, are they ready? You wonder. The night before school started, Adeline goes to bed, and I, I, was, I was in Utah um, the week before, and, and Vanessa was at home with the kids, so I really didn't get to process what was about to happen that week, I was trying not to even think about it, to be honest. The night before, I'm putting her to bed, and she's like, Dad, my legs hurt. My legs hurt. And I'm like, man, your legs haven't hurt in a long time. Is this some kind of excuse to stay awake? And she's like, oh, I just need you to rub them. And she just kept moving around. And, and then she said, I just need to talk to Mom. I just need to, I just need to talk to her. So she goes out, and um, Vanessa's putting Isla to bed, so she can't really talk to mom and then she finally comes to bed and I'm like you need to go to bed you know and, and um, you know we had been really prepping for school making it super exciting for her and then as we all do even kids when you go when you go to bed you start reflecting and, and you start thinking and processing what's about to happen and as she's laying there I hear this subtle cry this whimper and I go to her and I'm like what's what's going on and she's like dad I don't want to go to school and I'm like, Ugh, okay, just cancel it. Like, we're just, she's going to stay here the rest of her life. Like, it's fine. And I'm like, well, well why not? And, and she's like, what if I get lost? What if you don't come back to get me? When are you coming? I'm going to miss you guys. And I said, I have your teacher's number. And she's like, but I don't have a phone. So all these thoughts of doubt and fear are, are creeping into her mind. And she's crying and she's scared. And as a father, I hope that I have taught her that in the midst of the chaos, even in pre-K, all million kids running around, going in different directions, that she doesn't lose hope, that she continues to persevere. She doesn't give up. As a father, I hope I have taught her that. And this is just the beginning. I know it'll get harder. I've been told that. But as a father, I hope I've done everything to equip her to be strong, to stand strong in the name of Jesus. When her back's against the wall, that she remains firm in her identity and who she is. As a father, that's my hope. As our father, God, he wants so much for us to thrive in our chaos and our confusion. Jesus, when he left his disciples in the beginning of the book, he left his word, his responsibility with 12. And I can tell you as God the Father, he did a pretty good job because 2,000 years later, we're still talking about the name of Jesus. But we weren't intended and and we weren't created to run away 
to hide when things got messy, when we panicked, when we scattered. Our job on earth was still to proclaim the name of Jesus. No matter what, when our backs are against the wall, when things aren't going our way, God is still good. That's his promise. We weren't created for this world. We were created to live in eternity with Jesus. As our Father, his hope for all of us is that we thrive in the midst of this chaos because we know God is bigger than any of it. We were designed to never give up. God always has a plan. He did in the Garden of Eden, and he has one for you, and he has one for this church. This is one of the pillars on defining church. You don't want to be asking yourself, how did I get here? How did I get to this point where I'm ashamed, where I'm broken? It takes work, but God is good. His promise is everlasting. He is faithful in us. Here's the thing. Don't lose hope. Whatever your situation is right now, don't lose hope. Maybe that's a message you need to give someone else. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member to tell them, you know what? It may seem hopeless, but do not lose hope. Because in the midst of your chaos, Jesus is there. God is always ready to do a new thing. Maybe you're down that path, like I asked earlier, that you've just, you've gone down and you feel like there is no more hope left. The good news is Jesus is always ready to do a new thing in your life. No matter what, as lost and confused as you may be and say, I was, I was so spiritual two years ago. What happened to me now? There is no point of no return. Jesus is there. Goodness and mercy will follow you all of the days of your life. That is the promise that we have. He's willing and ready to do a new thing, but it's our choice. In the chaos, we call in the name of Jesus. That is what he's told us to do. Don't lose heart. John Mark Comer wrote this uh, quote and I saw it this week and it just resonated with me. He says this, stay with your church. We know your church is the body of believers, the people of God, this community, not this building, not this space, the people. Stay with your church, especially with your closest siblings in the family of God. Live in a thick web of interdependent relationships. Quietly defy the individualism that is wreaking havoc across the West. Surrender your autonomy to love. Place yourself in the constraint of community, for it is there that we are set free. Give up your preferences for the sake of others. Enroll in the school of agape. When you fail a course, throw yourself upon God's mercy. Come back to the table, eat the bread, drink the wine, ingest the forgiving love of God. Repent, 
repent, and again and again. Risk vulnerably. We will get hurt, and we will hurt in return, but that's the part of facing grace. Our greatest wounds come from relationships, but so do our deepest healing. The risk is worth it. Stay the course. Stay with your community. Stay committed. Stay grounded. In the moments when you ask yourself, how did I get here? There is a community that will love you. There is a God that will love you, that will pull you back. In the midst of your chaos and as a committed Christian that you are, don't stop proclaiming and preaching the name of Jesus. We long for the day where he will come. And Jesus, it's in our DNA, it's Adventist, it's what we do. But until that day, whatever comes our way, there's one name, his name is Jesus. We stay grounded. We continue to preach his name. We stick with our community because this is the community that God has given you. No matter what, no matter how far you've gone, his name is Jesus, and he wants you back. There's work to be done in the church, in our, in our jobs, and in our families. And there's a lot of chaos right now. It's pretty easy to relate to. But in the midst of it all, may we call upon his name, Jesus.